Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The King in Our Chaos, and it is part of the King is Coming Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. And today we're talking about the king in our chaos. We look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and we read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, my question for you today is why did the Magi come, give kingly honor, worship, and gifts to one who had no political connection, to one who had no manifest political power, and even more importantly, to one who did not demonstrate that he could resolve the chaos that Israel in particular and the Roman Empire was in at that moment, who gave no indication that he could or would resolve the present conflict they were in. Now, the, these, uh, these magi, by the way, you know, the Christmas pageants and all, kind of giving us a, uh, a narrative that's not provable. But for one thing, they weren't kings. Uh, they, nowhere in the Bible does it say there were three of them. Uh, we don't know how many there were. Uh, and actually, they also didn't show up while Jesus was still in a baby. Jesus was probably two years old by the time they showed up. So, I didn't mean to, I know, I ruined Christmas for somebody. I'm so, <laughs> I know a pastor who, when his wife sets up the nativity scene in the house, he always takes the wise men and puts them across the room. Because he said they weren't there yet. <laughs> they were, they were, most Bible scholars believe they were Zoroastrian priests. And they were uh, the, the religion of Zoroastrianism was actually uh, quite a while before Christ's birth. And it was founded in, in, the, in Persia. It, this would be Iraq, Iran, Yemen. Um, uh, uh, that, that region of the country. Southern Turkey, northern Syria, or southern Turkey. So, so this is where they, Bible scholars and people who study this all the time, believe that's where they came from. And, and that religion was known for its um, pursuit of truth and wisdom. Pursuit of truth and wisdom. It was, it was a, a monotheistic religion that believed there was one true God. And, and so uh, they went searching. Uh, it, oh, oh yeah, I know something else I want to make sure. Uh, we, we picked up here in first background, is uh, Israel had gone into captivity into Persia for uh, 70 plus years. They were in uh, Babylonian uh, Persian captivity. And you know the story of, uh, uh, the story of Daniels in, in, in that region. And, and the Pharisees, which get a bad rap today, were actually the, the, kind of the good guys in the Old Testament. 
Because they're the ones who, who said the Pharisees and the Sadducees rose up and said, we must preserve the word of God in captivity. So they meticulously recorded the word of God. And so uh, what, what we have here is these Zoroastrian priests came from a region that had the word of God. They came from a region that had the, the prophecies that Daniel gave predicting Christ's coming. They read it and, and, and they did not read it with the bias that the patriotic Jews read it. The patriotic Jews were reading the, reading the scripture and the prophecies with a, with a, with a, with a bias uh, uh, related to their nationalism. And in and, and fact, Jesus addressed this in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, when he's uh, addressing some Jewish leaders and he said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. So we have a, a really strong clue here that the Magi believed the prophecies, that they had the prophecies in their possession, and they believed the prophecies. Now, they adored, worshipped, made, and they made decisions. We, we see later they made a decision to go back to their own country a different way. They made decisions to, to claim that Jesus was the true king, and in the midst of the chaos without any indication that he was going to rise up and resolve all the chaos anytime soon. How many of you have somewhere in your life, somewhere in your life, you have chaos right now? Somewhere in your life, you have chaos. See, the Jews would have believed Jesus was the true king the moment they believed he would solve their biggest problem, Roman rule. King Herod, who's another character in the story, he would have received Jesus as, his, as the king the moment he believed that he would serve his agenda. He accepted King Caesar because King Caesar accepted his agenda. He even accepted, he, he built the second temple, by the way. So he even, he even, in a way, many people believe he converted to Judaism because that served his agenda. He married uh, a Maccabean woman. Maccabeans were, were these really patriotic Jews. And he married, uh, a, uh, uh, he married one of them uh, named Miriam because that gave him clout with the Jews. He was an opportunist. So if Jesus, if Jesus would have been to his advantage to declare him king, he would have gone and worshipped him as king. The Magi acknowledged Christ was king because he was king. They acknowledged he was king because Scripture declared he was king. I am in right relationship with God. I am in right relationship and ready to worship the true king when I see him as king in my chaos. When I see him as a king in spite of my chaos. In spite of what is going on in the world that I don't agree with or don't like or I wish would change. See, God's word, those prophetic scriptures that we believe, we have a strong clue that the Magi had access to. That word declares the true king, not life's circumstances. Numbers 24, 17. I, we talked about this in the Case for God class last Sunday night. So for those of you who are there, you're going to get a little re re review today. 
Numbers, Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 refers to a star appearing related to the coming of the true king. I see him, but now I behold him, but not, not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 probably written at least a thousand years, 500 years at the, at the minimum before Jesus came. Genesis chapter 3 verse, 7, verse 15 says the true king will be born of a woman. So we have, him, we have a star appearing prophetically. Genesis chapter 3, 15, he says, I will put in between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was in the beginning. So we have Christ coming, being born of a woman. Now you say, well, everybody knows that. But how do they know that in Genesis? In Genesis... I would think, logically, if God's going to send a king to save the earth, he wouldn't have him be born of a woman. He would just send him right out of heaven, zoom, like in a spaceship, like Superman, or in a, you know, and he ends up in the earth. I wouldn't, have him, I wouldn't have him be born and be a little baby. That makes no sense at all. What good is that? I mean, little babies are pretty useless. <laughs> really? Have you ever had a little baby do anything for you? You know, I always say that they're a, a baby is a canal that makes demands on one end and takes no responsibility on the other. <laughs> Nobody got that. But. Genesis, uh, uh, Genesis 49.10 says the true king would come through the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means peace. Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience, shall be the obedience of the people, Genesis 49.10. So, so we have him coming through a woman, coming through Judah. Now Isaiah 11.10 says the true king will come through the family of Jesse and be sought by non-Jews. And in that day there will be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So we have, him, we have the king born of a woman, coming through uh, the nation of Israel, being born of the tribe of Judah, and even tells us the family that he's going to be born in. Isaiah chapter 7, 14 says, The true king will be born of a virgin and shall be named Emmanuel. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now Jesus was his name as the son of man, but Emmanuel was his name as the son of God. Now, even if you knew someone was pregnant, you probably wouldn't be able to prophesy what the child's name would be. I mean, nobody told you. If the parents didn't tell you, how, many, how, how often do you think you would get it right if you just guessed? I guess his name's going to be Bocephus. Here we have scriptures written 5,000, 1,500 years before telling us He's going to be born of a woman, born of the nation of Israel, born of the tribe of Judah, and tells us what family he's going to become in. The family of Jesse, the line of David, and tells us that he will be born of a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel. And then Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us where he's going to be born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says the true king will be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, through, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. 
This is pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? And then we have the very sad prophecy that I wish we didn't have, but we do, that indicates in Jeremiah 31, 15, that a tyrant will respond to the true king by slaughtering all the children born within that time frame for two years. Thus says the Lord, a voice from heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Jeremiah 31, 15, there's no record in history of that, that incident happening anywhere else except, the, except in Egypt when the, when, when the Egyptians slaughtered the infants. That was before Jeremiah's prophecy. J. Barton Payne, a biblical, great biblical scholar, late, the late J. Barton Payne, listed some 574 verses in the Old Testament that had direct messianic foretellings. He said this in a sermon at Wheaton College. Essentially, I feel there are two different ways of approaching Scripture, or for that matter, of approaching life in general. Either trust in oneself, the internal approach, or trust in someone else, the external. Both are matters of trust, but it is a question as to which approach provides the more plausible facts. The Magi said our experience doesn't matter. The Magi said what, Christ, what God has foretold in Scripture is what matters. My opinion of who Jesus is is based on the Word of God. You want a solid foundation for your life? You want a solid foundation for your life? Make Scripture the solid foundation for your life. Not your opinion, not how you feel, not the most popular ideologies, but make the Word of God it is, uh, the Bible calls it a sure word of prophecy. Jesus, the true king, has invaded our chaos. He's invaded our darkness and our chaos with light, with love, and hope. Sure, I would like for him to solve our problems. I would like solutions to our temporal problems that we all face. We'll talk about that a little more in a moment because I believe that matters. Our problems do matter. Our lives matter. What we're going through matter. Your marriage matters. Your finances matter. Your, your, your emotions matter. Your, your, your relationships matter. Everything about you matters a great deal to God. But what you're going through does not have any bearing on who God is or who Jesus is. Nothing you're going through changes who God is and who He is. Why give up the one thing that's stable? Why give up the one thing that's stable? Because you've got some things in your life that are very insta unstable. Many people abandon the one thing that's stable, which is Jesus Christ. The one thing that's stable, which is the Word of God. The one thing that's stable, which is the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. They, 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 they abandon the one thing that's stable because something is blowing up. Mary, Matthew 2.10 2, says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They didn't say, when they saw that Roman oppression was, was removed from the land. Then they were to no, know that they saw the star. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream 
not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I'm struck by the fact that the Magi so highly emotionally responded to the discovery of the true king. They had this highly emotional response, even though, as I've already made the point, it made no apparent change in the political, personal, or social chaos in Palestine or in the world beyond, for that matter. Do you have a perspective on Jesus that transcends your trauma? I said, do you have a perspective on Jesus that transcends your trauma today? Remember, contrast that idea with Satan's, Satan's insistent question when he tempted Jesus. Remember, Jesus was baptized in water, and then immediately after his baptism in water, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And Satan three times asked Jesus the question if you, that, that began with these words, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. If you, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off the cliff and the angels will bear you up lest you, lest you bear your uh, foot against a stone. Everything that Satan was, was promoting to Jesus was based on, the, on changing circumstances. Jesus, if you can change circumstances, then you're the son of God. And notice that Jesus refused to respond to any of it. His everything that Satan says was, if you're the son of God, it always related to will you presently and immediately change material reality? Will you presently change material reality? If you're the son of God, you will change material reality. Now, some of you are in that same, same place today. You're in that same place today. God, I'll, I'll start coming to church regularly, if you will, blank. If you will heal something. If you will, if you will fix something, I will start going to church. I will start paying. Lord, I'll even start paying my tithe. If you will, if you will show up. And give me that job that I want. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. That is not to say we don't intercede over material realities. Because we do. I do all the time. Much of my prayer life has to do with God help me with some material reality. Some material, some temporal reality that I want to see changed. And that's throughout the scripture. Jesus went about doing good. Jesus went about impacting people's spiritual material reality. Uh, in fact, the, in one of the gifts of the Spirit that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is of the working of miracles. So one of, the, one of the gifts that God gives us is the working of miracles. It's a gift that Christ left the church. Christ left the church the working of miracles. So we should always be putting our faith, applying our faith to material reality to give our great God the chance to show up. To give our great God that we should all be putting our faith and our prayer and our intercession. The Bible says let everything be known. Don't worry about anything, but, but pray about everything. Make everything a subject of prayer and before God. But the working of miracles is a gift Christ left the church, but it doesn't 
validate the status of Jesus. Jesus' status needs no validation. He is the king. He is the the savior of the world. See, the status of Jesus as our king is a reality. It's not a hypothesis. It's not a theory. It's a reality. I shared with the Case for God class my own crisis of faith a few years ago. I would say, I would have to go back, uh, I would say it's about at least 15 years ago, maybe 20. But we had, a, we had a rash of deaths in the church that year. And uh, I, I was praying for every one of them to be healed. And, uh, you know, I come, from, uh, I come from a Pentecostal background. I don't know if you know anything about Pentecostals. Amen. <laughs> Shout out to Pentecostals. Uh, we, as Pentecostals, we believe, our, our, the, the whole premise of Pentecostalism, a lot of people think it's all about speaking in tongues, but the whole premise of Pentecostalism is where God's people show up, God shows up and manifest his power. And we constantly pray and believe that God's power will come to bear on negative reality. That's why we're always casting the devil out. We're always praying for the sick. We're always rebuking things. We're always binding the devil. We're always rebuking the devil because this is a very much a part of our theology. and of our So I was raised in that. I was raised in that. I mean, we believe if we had enough faith, we could straighten a dog's tail out, you know. We... <laughs> And maybe you've seen some of these uh, caricatures of these evangelists that are rebuking COVID, COVID and demanding it to leave. And that's Pentecostalism, man. That's what I grew up in. So I, I, I was having faith that, that one woman died of breast cancer, another man died of another type. And this one guy that died of cancer, I went over to see him at UMass Hospital, and he was so believing that God was going to heal him. And he, he's, he, he tried to come out of the bed, the deathbed. Because God was going to heal him, and God didn't heal him. He passed away, and I did his funeral with all those other people. And it just leveled me. And I woke up one day, and I said, I don't know. I don't know if anything I believe is true anymore. I don't know. God, you're not answering my prayers. You're not doing this stuff for me. You're not doing what you... What, and, and I could show God all the scriptures, you know. And I started a, 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 research, a search to find God again. I read a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and that kind of <laughs> Frank Torek and that kind of uh, I rediscovered God and I found I, I rediscovered God the God of the Bible and not the God I had created with my, with my ideology. I discovered the true God. I discovered that you can't see God with a microscope. You have to use a telescope. You have to look at the long view to discover God. And if you look at the long view of history... God is marching us toward accomplishment, fulfillment. God, God is marching us toward the healing of the world. God, like the guy says in, the, in, the, in the, that scene from West Wing, the president's done this calculation about China and Taiwan and all this, and he says to the guy, you only see the next move. I see the whole board. 
And that's our God. Our God sees the whole board. He doesn't just see the next move. That's why everything in your life, and I hate to say this because it's going to hurt somebody's faith, because somebody's, somebody's going to get a miracle this week with some material reality that's going to change. I don't want to get in the way of that. But somebody in this room that I have to care about equally is not going to get your miracle. I want you to know that God is on the throne. I want you to know that God loves you. Amen. I want, you, know, you know, I want you to know that because we... We, 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 are the, we do these testimonies, and I, and I love them. I, I, I don't want to stop doing them, but we'll say, you know, I was driving my car, and the light, the light was red, and somebody read the, read the red light and barely missed me, and if I had got there five, praise God. If, if it wasn't for God, I, 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 if it wasn't God, and God didn't love me, then I would have got there five seconds sooner and I'd have been hit, or something like that. You know? Well, what does that say to the person that got hit? What about the person that got broadsided and their child got killed? Oh, God didn't love them? No, no. We've got, as painful as it is, we've got to fix this theology. We've got to get our theology fixed because it's life or death for us spiritually. It's life or death. And a lot of people fall away because they don't know the true God. And they don't know the God that loves them through the chaos. They don't know the king that shows up and doesn't fix everything. But what he does put in our life is a sense of his glory. And a sense of his power. And a sense of his might. And a sense of his love. And a sense of who he is. And all the answers to prayer are going to, you know, if God heals you today, you're still going to die. So you need to know Jesus. You're either testing Jesus or you're resting in Jesus. That's my sermon today. In a sentence, that's my sermon. You're either testing Jesus or you're resting in Jesus. We either rest in the sovereignty of the true king or resist the sovereignty of the true king. Mary, what a beautiful lady Mary was. She rested in the opportunity to carry the true king to a chaotic world. The Magi rejoiced in their opportunity to worship and serve the true king of chaotic, true king of a, of a chaotic world. Herod, on the other hand, violently resisted anyone who didn't serve his agenda. He, re, he said, if I can't control you, I'm going to kill you. I'm getting rid of you if I can't control you. In fact, he, he, like I said earlier in the sermon, he married Miriam, a woman named Miriam, who was a Maccabean and a part of a patriotic Jewish sect. And he actually, she ended up being his favorite wife. But he got some idea in his head that she was going to try to get rid of him, and he murdered her. And he murdered her mother. And he murdered the two sons that he had by her because he got paranoid that they were going to take his throne. And uh, he, murdered his, uh, he murdered his brother-in-law, he eventually, uh, right before he died himself, a very horrible death, uh, he murdered, he, he, he died like a, he died as a madman, a psychotic madman. So he murdered uh, another son named Antipas, because uh, I believe it was Antipas was the name, he, because he was, thought he was trying to get his throne. Uh, you know, I think there's some real psychological damage if you don't recognize the true king. I think you, you, you might just get weird. <laughs> now, everybody doesn't. <laughs> you might just get psychologically unhealthy 
if you start trying to control the universe. If you start trying to control all the chaos in your life. What if you just made Jesus king and you quit trying to control all the chaos in your life? Is that sound like a good psychological, healthy psychological plan? I think so. You, you know, researchers, uh, I, I read a lot of this stuff about research and stuff, but, you know, they found a new personality trait. <laughs> Did you know that? It's called TIV, which stands for Tendency for Interpersonal Victimhood. <laughs> It's, they define it as an ongoing feeling that self is a victim. And in the, an initial three studies established the TIV as a consistent and stable trait that involves four dimensions. Moral elitism, in other words, I'm, I'm, I have the moral high road all the time. A lack of empathy, the need for recognition, and rumination. Rumination means you think about something, you meditate. I believe there's a danger if we don't recognize as Jesus is king, a true king beyond ourselves. I believe we tend to either act like joyless victims or we become aggressive tyrants. And maybe a combination of the two. When you consciously make Jesus the ruler of your life, something wonderful happens. You, you become an eternal optimist. Look at what happened. The Magi worshipped. The shepherds praised and magnified. And Mary sang because they found, she found the true king. She didn't sing because her world became great. Her world was very stressful. Her world was more stressful than, than any of ours. But the Bible says, she sang, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on. See, she had, the, she had her telescope out, not her microscope. She was going, oh man, this is miserable. I got I to gotta ride a donkey to Bethlehem and then I got to go to Egypt for a bunch of years in exile and I got to live, I got to go live in Nazareth. I mean, no woman in the room wants to live in Nazareth. When, when Jesus showed up, you know what they said? They said, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? It wasn't a good neighborhood, friends. If, she, if she'd have had her microscope, if she had her, her, her little microscope, oh, my life is just horrible. But she had her telescope. And she said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You may not be a Roman Catholic, but one thing the Roman Catholic has surely done is they've exalted Mary. They're, they fulfilled the scripture. What Mary's saying, they've risen and calling her blessed. In fact, you, you'd be better off to, to, to some people to be in trouble with, with Jesus than in trouble with Mary. <laughs> right? Isn't that, isn't that just so cool? Isn't that just so cool that she got her telescope out and she could see the long view from now on? I want a faith that will matter for generations to come.